you know, I was uh, watching a video of, of me preaching at a fusion meeting, and I was thinking, man, I'm moving around a lot. Maybe I shouldn't move around so much, and I didn't really pray about it or anything, but I was just thinking maybe I shouldn't move around so much. So God answered that prayer yesterday. He made sure my leg was injured enough that I can't move, so I'll be fixated to this, uh, this uh, right here. So in any event, um, you know, I want to talk to you a little bit, so just um, bear with me. You know, in our culture today, we hear a lot of fancy titles. We ascribe our athletes and our pop culture stars with these, you know, really big titles. You know, if you look at LeBron, he's King James. If you look at Allen Iverson, he's the answer. If you look at Michael Jordan, he's his heirness. Or Michael Jackson, he's the king of pop. So we're familiar with these big titles that we give to our athletes and our pop culture icons. And then we, on a day-to-day basis, we also hear titles. Titles like president, CEO. We hear titles like distinguished engineer or, or uh, attending. Again, titles that we hear on a day-to-day basis. If we look at the resume of Jesus Christ, we are also going to see a number of titles. We're going to see King of Kings. We're going to see Lord of Lords. We're going to see the Son of God. We're going to see the Alpha and the Omega, these big titles for a big God, an awesome God, a Christ that deserves titles as big as those are. But on that resume, we are going to see one other title that is just as important and just as critical as any of those titles, and that is servant. You heard me right. King of kings, Lord of lords, and servant. If you turn with me quickly to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, that's Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, we find that the scripture says this, have this, in my, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He came to this earth, He lived and died for you and I, and imagine this Jesus Christ took on this title of servant. This is a title that would make us recoil. This is a title that we would run away from. You know, I imagine if I was interviewing for a job, and they came in and said, okay, Dennis, we're going to give you the salary you've asked for, we're going to give you the responsibilities you've asked for, and on your business card, it is going to say, Dennis Matthew, servant. That might be a deal breaker for me. I'm like, hey, do you know who I am? Do you know where I went to school? Do you know how much experience I bring to the table? And you're going to put on my business card, servant? I don't think so. But that's not what Christ does. Christ runs to this title. Christ embraces this title. And he is asking that we take on this title as well so that we can glorify his name. So we're in the middle of a series called Being the Church, and the focus today is how we as Christians and we as members of the church can be servants. And I know what you're thinking. Okay, Dennis is the right person to be speaking on this topic. He continuously harasses the men of this church to serve and to come and to do setup and clean up. You know, he's the one that's always organizing these 
you know, day, work days to come and shovel dirt and do these types of things. So service must be in the DNA of Dennis. And I'm here to tell you that that cannot be further from the truth. You know, there are many things in my DNA. The truth is I have no need for this mic because I am an extremely loud person. And that is in my DNA inherited from my father who's sitting here. Um, you know, also my black hair that's going gray is also in my DNA. My brown skin is in my DNA. My sin nature is in my DNA. My uh, anger, my brothers will tell you that I grew up a very angry person. That's, a, that's in my DNA. My pride, my ego, all these things, but service is not in my DNA. But I'm here to tell you that the gospel of Jesus Christ that has freed me from my sins and given victory over these things, that the sin nature in my DNA is also teaching me what it is like to be a servant, teaching me what it means to love like Jesus loved so that I can serve like Jesus served. That is what I'm here to talk to you about today. So we're going to talk a little bit about what service is not. We're going to then talk a little bit about John chapter 13, which talks about Jesus and the example that he provided. And then we're going to talk through a little bit about how we can serve here in this church and in our community. So what service is not? Service is absolutely, positively not a way to earn your salvation. I want to make that abundantly clear to you today that we have preached time and time again that we are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. John 3.16 says that he sent his only begotten son and whoever believes in him should not perish. Sibi preached a couple weeks ago and Ajay has preached many times on Ephesians chapter 2 that is a beautiful portrait of the gospel that we were dead and lost in our sin and then God loved us so much that he gave his son to die on the cross. And by grace, we are saved. So I'm, I apologize, but no matter how many times you volunteer for nursery, no matter how many times you do set up and clean up, although please do that as much as you can, the more the merrier, um, none of these things will save us. And none of these things will make us holier or better Christians. You know, when I was uh, taking a class at Philadelphia Biblical University, a seminary uh, not too far from here, we had a class on salvation. And we talked a lot about what is the role of service? What is the role of good works? How does that play into our salvation? And the overwhelming conclusion was that it plays no role. There is no role of service or good works in our salvation. However, we must know that when we are saved, we are transformed, and we become a new creation. And with that new creation, we run from sin, we strive to be like Christ, and we learn to love the way Jesus loved. And because he loved us, he was a servant, and we will strive to serve like Christ served. So service is not a ticket to salvation. It's not going to make us holy or holier but it is something that will be born in us with the gospel working through us. Let's turn our attention now to the scripture, scripture, John chapter 13, verses 1 through 20, as Ajay has already read. You know, if we just start with the first couple of verses. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, 
having loved his own who were there in the world, he loved them to the end. You know, I want us to rewind real quickly to chapter 12, because before we can understand what's happening in chapter 13, we need to look at chapter 12. And in chapter 12, you find Mary, who is a follower of Christ, anointing the feet of Jesus with her hair. We find Jesus entering into Jerusalem triumphantly on, the, on the, a donkey. We see Jesus speaking to the people and to the Pharisees and addressing them in different ways and just preaching to them. But all throughout that chapter, we can sense the tension. We can sense the, the level of stress that Christ is going through. You know, he rebukes Judas and says, Judas, don't uh, rebuke Mary for anointing my feet. You have the poor with you always, but I am not with you always. You know, he then tells uh, Philip and Andrew that he is, he tells Philip and Andrew that his heart is heavy because of the events that are about to come. He cries out in verse 37 and says, my God, my heart is heavy, but this is the purpose that I came to fulfill. You know, he goes on to, to be struggle and worry about why are all of these things happening? Why aren't people believing the word? He's preaching the word, but people are not believing, and the Pharisees are there waiting to, for him to slip up. And so as we enter into chapter 13, we need to understand the stress that Christ is feeling sitting down for supper. People don't believe the word. People, the Pharisees are waiting for him to slip up. Judas is about to deny him. Peter, P Judas is about to betray him. Peter is about to deny him. He's about to give his life over for these people. If anyone should be ready to kick back their feet and relax, it is Jesus Christ. If anybody should be ready to sit down for a meal and enjoy himself in these last few days, it is Jesus Christ. Jesus, take a break, relax, chill. And yet, the first thing on his mind is, how can I serve my brothers in the Lord? How can I serve my brothers you know, I want you to think of a time when you were stressed. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you were sick. Maybe somebody close to you had cancer. Maybe somebody in your family was not doing well. Maybe, you know, whatever it is, financial crisis, whatever. Think about the most stressful period of your life. And tell me who you were thinking about serving at that point in time. You were, I wasn't thinking about serving anybody except myself. I was saying, God, I need some help. I am under stress. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. And I was thinking about me and me alone. But Christ gives us the example that even under this extremely stressful time in his life, he is ready to serve his brothers in the Lord. What an awesome example for you and I to follow can we also say, hey, forget about my circumstances, forget about what's happening in life? You know, sometimes we think, hey, tomorrow will be less stressful. Next week will be less stressful. You know, next year will be less stressful. I used to think that when I was in college, I was under a lot of stress. And I thought, man, when I graduate from college, all the stress will be gone and I will have so much time to serve. Then I started working and 
all of a sudden they needed me to work 10 and 12 hours a day and oh, it was this rat race and climb the corporate ladder. I was like, man, this plan did not work. Maybe when I get married. That makes a lot of sense because now there's two hands instead of one. And so that now I'll have plenty of time to serve. Good Lord, I was wrong. Wrong big time. We got married and I felt like the hands doubled and the work quadrupled. All of a sudden, all the family commitments, all the things that you need to do to run a household. My point is that things never get less stressful. And God forbid, not God forbid, but when you add kids to that mix, (laughs) not, not God forbid, they are a blessing upon blessing. But I don't have a free moment, you know, kids, just take it up another notch. And those are all great excuses, right? These are all fantastic excuses. Jesus Christ could have said, hey, maybe when the resurrection comes, you know, after the resurrection, it's going to be much less stressful. I'm going to be much more free. That's going to be the time for me to serve in this way. But Christ rolls up his sleeves, literally gets on his knees, and begins to serve. He doesn't wait for another time. My brothers and sisters, we can't wait for another time. Now is the time. Let's take a look at verse 2, 2 through 5. During supper, when the devil had already put it into into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, lay aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist, Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel that was wrapped around him. We see Christ making a sacrifice, getting up in the middle of supper. He doesn't even wait until the end of supper. He doesn't even wait for, you know, things to settle down. He gets up in the middle of supper to serve his brothers. He's making a real sacrifice for his brothers in the Lord. You know, this was a time when he needed to eat. He needed to get his strength up. He needed strength to carry the cross. He needed strength to endure the whips that were going to be tearing at his back. It wasn't a surprise. He knew this was going to happen. He needed strength to endure the punches that he would receive from soldiers from the left and the right. Jesus, eat some food. Regain your strength for the physical and emotional toil you're about to undergo. You know, he could have made an excuse and said, I've already made so many sacrifices for these disciples. I've already come to this earth. I'm already about to die for them. Why should I continue to sacrifice If anything, they need to start to make some sacrifices for me. I've told them plain as day that I'm about to die. It's time for them to serve me. I've been giving and giving, and I'm not receiving any service. But that's not his mindset at all. You know, that's quickly our mindset, right? When we serve, we we just naturally feel like we're owed something. I'm guilty of that more than anyone else in this room. You know, working 10, 12 hours a day. My mindset is, man, I've already served for my household, you know. 
who's, who's Liz to expect me to now come home? You know, I'm walking in the door and the child is like waiting there as I walk through the garage, feed the child, bathe the child, now there's two, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's all these things that need to happen. And I'm like, hey, I've already served. But Christ is saying, hey, that's not the mindset. When we love someone, we're not on some kind of, you know, measuring stick trying to say, hey, how much did you serve? How much did I serve? You know, did I, I've served more than you, so now you owe me. Christ doesn't have any measuring stick whatsoever. Whether you served him or whether you haven't, he is serving out of the love that he has for you and I. Can we serve in such a pure and sincere way? I'm saying, God, it's only the gospel that's going to get me there because my nature it has nothing to do with it, and I am one selfish dude. But God, the gospel maybe can get me there. The gospel can get me to that point. You know, Christ could have said, hey, I've already made sacrifices. I've already done what I've needed to do. Now you serve me. That's not his mindset at all. We may think, hey, I came on Saturday. I worked all day. Let somebody else take care of Sunday. You know, I've already cleaned the church and shoveled dirt and done all these things. You know, let somebody else come on Sunday and set up and clean up and do, all, do whatever needs to be done. But that's not Christ's mindset. So what does he do? He gets on the, he doesn't wait for a convenient time. He doesn't wait for dinner to conclude. He gets on his hands and knees and he begins to serve his brothers. We need to understand the example Christ is providing us. We, we need to make sacrifices to serve. So we may need to be in the nursery and miss service so our brothers and sisters can sit in this peaceful environment and hear the word. We may need to get up early on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning and miss out on sleeping in so that we can come and serve. We may need to cancel a program or two, but that's what Christ is saying service is all about. It's about sacrifice. Let's look at the example that Jesus is providing us and strive for that as well. So let's continue in the scripture. So before we do that, some of us may be asking, well, why does he decide to serve in this way? Why does he decide to serve by washing this filthy part of their body. And if we look back in time, and if we look at the custom of that day, you know, people didn't have fancy shoes or fancy cars. There weren't any paved roads. So people were just walking around in these dirt roads, and you know, quite naturally, they were walking in sandals, and their feet would get dirty. And when they came to a home in the evening, just like you and I would walk into a restaurant and wash our hands, they would wash their feet as well and just get ready for supper. And the custom then was for a Gentile slave to perform that activity. It wasn't even something a Jewish slave had to do. It was something a Gentile slave, the lowest of the low in their minds, in their culture, would perform that act. So Christ is literally lowering himself to the level of the lowest slave in that house to serve his brothers and sisters. So if we jump over to verse, verses 12 through 17, and I'll come back to 6 through 10 in a minute, it says, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. You are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, 
nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What is Jesus saying here? We know that he served in really big ways all through his life. He's fed thousands upon thousands of people. He's healed the sick. He's healed lepers. He made the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the dumb to speak. He raised the dead. He did all of these big, bigger than life types of things. And yet Christ is saying that the simple act of washing each other's feet is also critical and important and not to be dismissed. Christ is saying, yes, we can serve in these big ways, but on a day-to-day basis, we need to serve each other because of our love in these small and simple ways. You know, growing up in the church, we sometimes think that preaching and singing and missions, those are the ways that we serve God, and those are the only ways. But we can take joy today and be encouraged that even serving in these simple ways is critical to the life of the church. It is so important for us to serve in these simple ways just as it is to serve in these big ways. You know, when I was uh, speaking with Ajay probably a, a year and a half, two years back now, and we were talking about the church plant, I was trying to figure out, okay, so what's going to be my role? You know, how can I help? And, you know, Ajay, we're so blessed to have this gifted preacher and pastor. It's like, all right, that's not my thing. That, you know, that's what, Ajay's got that on lock. And at that time, we didn't have a worship leader, but Ajay was wise enough to know that I, was not sh- I should not be stepping into that role and that that might, you know, hinder church growth versus encourage church growth. And so that wasn't the role for me to fill. And then, you know, Sibby comes along, and, you know, he's doing all right. But, um, you know, (laughs) so then I said, hey, how can I serve? How can I help in furthering the gospel? I said, I'm going to set up chairs. I'm going to take out the trash. I'm going to count the offering. I'm going to do whatever else needs to be done So we can create an environment where people feel comfortable in coming to serve and coming to worship and coming to hear the gospel. You know, we're going to talk about needs as we move in in the coming months. You're going to hear about needs like the nursery. And if you want to help with the nursery, you can talk to Anne. We're going to talk about needs like helping with setup and cleanup. And Daniel's going to be helping to lead that effort. You know, we're going to be talking about needs like helping on the welcome team and assimilation. And Joe and Lisa are helping with that effort. We're going to have needs with the building and all these different kinds of needs. But it's not just these needs that are out there. There are other big needs and other small needs that need, that, a lot of need, that need to be met. You know, just on a day-to-day basis, as we walk into the hall, the trash gets full. We need somebody to take that trash out. You know, the dirty diapers that are in the nursery, they stink, I know firsthand. You know, somebody needs to help us with that. Cleaning up the kitchen after service, you know, as everybody rushes out to grab lunch, you know, we need help there. So there are all these small needs, and I'm not here to guilt anyone, but I'm here to encourage you that, hey, serving isn't just about big, it's also about small. It's also about these little things that are so critical to the life of the church. There are other big needs that we haven't even begun to address. You know, at the core members meeting, uh, somebody brought up that it would be great to have a seven-mile road sign out front 
It's like, you know, that is a good idea. It's way down on our list. And Jenny came up and said, hey, I have experience in that area. I've done some of those things. I can help with that. Praise God, because if I put together that sign, it would be big block letters saying SMR in black and white. That's going to be the extent of my creativity. But we have people that are creative that can help with those needs. Jenny also mentioned that, hey, we need funding. Maybe we can apply for grants. I don't even know where to begin, but she's going to help us try to figure that out. There are all kinds of needs that you may be identifying and may be wondering, you know, why isn't Dennis addressing this need, or why isn't Ajay, or why isn't someone? And I'm here to tell you that we are all here to help address the needs of this church. And as you find places where your talents, your experiences can help, please let us know and we'll work together to address that need. But it's not only about this church. If you look on our website, there's a bunch of organizations like Phil Abundance and um, Aid for Friends and uh, the Bustleton Civic League. There are great organizations in our community that are doing a good work. And we as a church are trying to get there. We're trying to work with these organizations. We're trying to develop programs to do good things. But, you know, we're slow. We're going to take time. But we as members can take it upon ourselves to find out about the local, uh, you know, town watch program, the local school program, you know, whatever it is happening in our community so that we can use our own talents and our own resources to bless the community around us. You know, we, be, we, we become so insular. We become so busy. You know, we barely have enough time for work. We barely have enough time for family. But Christ is saying when you love those around you, and it's not just the church, when you love the community, when you love your neighborhood, when you love your coworkers, we're going to serve in those areas as well. So let's get this into our DNA I want this to be service to be in our DNA so that it's not something we're necessarily organizing or planning or whatever. Just, just go and serve. Just do whatever it takes. And Christ is going to honor that. You know, I would be remiss. So God is saying, look, serve in these small ways, serve in these big ways. And I would be remiss not to give an example right here and right now. I mean, if we look, and it's going to sound like I'm sucking up to our pastor for a second, but that's all right. You know, if we look at our pastor who is serving in big ways here at the church, he's preaching, he's pastoring, he's leading the church. And yet at the same time, you'll find him rolling up his sleeves and cleaning up the spilt juice on the floor, taking out the dirty diapers, shoveling dirt, whatever it takes. My brothers and sisters, it's not just about the big, it's also about the small. So why do we serve? You know, you may be asking, hey, I hear you, I get it, but I don't have the motivation to serve, I don't have the drive to serve. You know, I just don't, I just don't have that, it's not in me yet. So I want to read a, ver- uh, a couple of scriptures. I want us to go back to verses 6 through 10. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what, am I, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. 
So Peter, like always, gets a little bit overzealous, and he says, hey, don't just wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my face, wash my hair, do all these things. And Jesus is saying, Peter, that's not the point. You are clean. Why is Peter clean? Why are you and I clean? Because Christ has already served in this big way and died on the cross. He has spilt his blood for you and I so that now we can say with Peter, with the saints, that we are clean. Praise God. And when we begin to understand the gospel, it will begin to transform our hearts. If we look at Isaiah chapter 53, which is the scripture of the suffering servant, it gives us a vivid picture of Christ and the service that he provided to you and I on the cross. I don't want to read the whole scripture, but it says in verses 10 and 11 of Isaiah 53, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, was put, he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many, be, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Because of the love of Christ, we are made clean. And when we begin to understand how far gone we were, how utterly hopeless we were, when we begin to understand the breadth of the sacrifice He made, our response will be to be more like Christ. Our response will be to love like Christ. And if we are going to be like Christ, if we are going to love like Christ, we are going to have a passion and a desire to serve just as Christ has served in John chapter 13. So what are, where do we go from here? What are the next steps? So Ajahn and I had a chance to catch up, and we thought, hey, what is the best way to really drive the point home? And so we agreed that from this moment until the end of service next week, no one at Seven Mile Road will serve in any way. So no one is going to set up refreshments, no one is going to clean up the hall, no one is going to count the offering, no one is going to take down the sound. Um, for those of you who are in soul care, no one is going to send you an email about where or when to meet. If you eat dinner, no one's going to prepare dinner and no one's going to be ready to serve dinner on that day or nobody's going to be ready to lead serve, uh, soul care at all. Uh, when you come next week, no one's going to set up this hall in this you know, nice way. Uh, no one is going to um, sing. You can have a week off soon. Uh, no one's going to preach. Uh, no one's going to collect offering. Um, no one's going to do any of it. No one's going to do any of it. And then we're going to get together, uh, and no one's going to do nursery. I know that made people's heart just drop. <laughs> no one's going to do nursery. Uh, so be prepared to hold on to your kids. And we're going to get together at the end of service and just talk about the week and just talk about what went well, what didn't go well, you know, just how did the week go? I imagine the list of what went well is going to be negative, and this place will be in chaos. And uh, if we tried to do that again the following week, uh, none of you may show up. So all that to say 
because we're actually not going to do this, but I want you to envision what that conversation would be like next week if we actually let this week play out that way. What would happen? What would, what would that conversation be like? What would have happened during service? What would have happened during soul care? What would have happened you know, with worship and the message? What would have happened? This place would have been a mess. But because people love you, they are serving diligently that we can come and worship and praise our God and that we can further the gospel. Because people love you, that is happening every week. So my only request as I get ready to close is I'm asking you to do one of two things. One thing is if if the gospel has transformed your heart and you are feeling, man, I am sitting here ready to serve Dennis. If you need me to paint the walls, if you need me to scrub the floors, whatever it is, I'm ready. I want you to talk to Ajay and I afterwards and we can catch up on how you can get plugged into service here at Seven Mile Road. If you don't have that burning passion, if that desire is not in you, I am asking that you pray that the gospel would transform your heart so that you will love like Jesus loved and have a passion to serve like Jesus served.